Good morning, my name is Kyle. I'm a pastor here and it is my pleasure to preach the good news about Jesus Christ today. We are in a series in the book of Mark. If you do not have a Bible, go to a round table, take one, because we're going to be looking at a larger section today in Mark chapter 10. As we do so, let me, let me pray for us. Your word is truth and your word is life. Please, Lord. Author of all life, make yourself present. Through the word preached, we pray that we might receive it and live. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. Well, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Mark 10, 15. Last week, we talked about the fact that for a child to receive the kingdom of God, they have to receive the kingdom of God as a gift. And the reason they have to receive the kingdom of God like as a gift is because they have to receive everything as a gift. I mean, children, they, they're poor. They don't have any money. They can't afford to buy anything. And children, they're powerless they can't achieve anything. And, and children, they're, they're unknowing. And so it's not like they can think their way through a problem or anything. They have to receive everything, every single thing that comes to them as a gift. A- as a gift given without regard to worth. And, and children are happy because of that, I think. Have you ever thought about that? That children are some of the most happy creatures on earth. Uh, They are happy because they have nothing and they bring nothing, nothing except their existence. Their existence is objects of love. Unlike adults, we, we, we think about gifts and when we think about gifts, we think about our past. And we feel pride or guilt about what we have either deserve or don't deserve. When we think about the potential of receiving a gift, we think about our future and we think about how we can measure up or how we might forfeit the gift or disqualify ourselves from the gift. And we anxiously fret about what we might lose or what we might gain not kids. I, the best way to receive the kingdom of God is as a child. I, I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, when, if you're a Christian here, when have been your happiest days as a Christian? You know what I bet it is? I bet your happiest days and my happiest days as a Christian are those days when we had nothing but Jesus. When we couldn't do anything. We couldn't offer anything. They aren't even the days where we came to Jesus. They were the days where we couldn't bring anything to Jesus. They were the days when we were brought to Jesus. They weren't the days when we came to Jesus. They were the days when we were caught by Jesus. Well, those were happy days. The days when we didn't have anything that we could stack up and bring to Jesus. 
the best way to receive the kingdom of God is as a child, because that's the only way to receive the kingdom of God. Jesus says, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, you shall not enter it. The only way to receive it is with, with nothing, poor and powerless and unaccomplished. In Mark 10, 17 through 22, we meet this man, and he is like the very opposite of a child. Uh, unlike a child, he has possessions, verse 22. Uh, unlike a child, he has lots of power and authority. The other Gospels call him a ruler. Uh, unlike a child, he, he has a moral pedigree, a history. He can look back and say that he has kept the commandments since his youth, verse 20. And unlike a child, he is sad. Verse 22. He is anxious and sad. And you can hear the anxiety in his question, verse 17, can't you? Good, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, tell me what I have to do. Tell me what to do. Good teacher, what must I do? I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Just tell me. Just tell me. You know, a lot of Christians, they come to pastors like that. Pastor, just tell me what I have to do. A lot of Christians, they come to sermons like that. Just tell me what I have to do. A lot of people don't like my sermons because they're like, I don't tell them what they have to do. But they want to know. In those sermons where I tell them what they have to do, they give me these, they give me these emails. And they're like, thank you for telling us what we have to do because I want to know what I have to do. Pastor, tell me what I have to do to have a happy, fulfilling, full life. Just tell me. I think we can relate to this guy, can't we? In lots of ways. Because like him, we revere Jesus. Did you notice that verse 17? He comes up and he bows before Jesus. And like him, we also are loved by Jesus. Did you note that? Don't miss that. It says that he is, Jesus loved him, verse 21. This man has everything, and like him, most of us, we have everything except, except like him, we also lack one thing. One thing, verse 21, Jesus says, you lack. You lack one thing. What could this man possibly lack? He has everything. He has riches. He has power. He has possessions. Accomplishment. He has reverence. He has love. What could he possibly lack? Well, Jesus goes on, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. What's the one thing this man lacks? Nothing. He lacks nothing, because he has absolutely everything. But nothing, that's a problem. Lacking nothing, because nothing is the one thing you need to enter the kingdom. And he has nothing. You know, I, uh, I've always wanted to fly first class, especially when I was living in England. And, uh, and I had a lot of hope that I would fly first class, because I kept hearing these stories from all my friends who would fly back and they would get bumped up to first class. Now, I had dreamed about first class, 
and then they told me what first class on an international flight was like. And let me just say, the reality was better. I mean, they get there and they're like, okay, they don't give you the cheap wine or the cheap cocktails. In fact, when you get there, they give you like a starter and it's shrimp. Like, my friends were at this Virgin Airline. They're sitting outside on Christmas Eve, and this guy, who must have been very high up, comes up to them, and he says, you guys look like you're flying home. I'd like to give you two tickets, first class. They had their own private section that laid down horizontal, right? I mean, we wonder, right, when we get off the plane, you all wonder, because we get off the plane and and coach uh, on an international flight, and we walk out, And it's like everyone around us just went through, like, a season of amazing race. And the people off first class, have you ever noticed, were like, do they have showers or something up there? And masseuses? I mean, they're all fresh, and they look great. And my friends start describing first class. I'm just like, don't tell me about it, because it was just so good. But they're sitting there, and they're about to go to first class. They said, "Uh, come on. But but what what if this happened? What if they had just bought coffee. And what if, the, what if the guy who came up to give them the ticket said, hey, you can get on first class and guess what? Uh, we're going to get you on an earlier flight, so you're going to be home sooner. Like six hours sooner. You don't have to sit at Heathrow and wait all day. You can go. And, and, and they're approaching the gates and they're going up to the security gates and they're sitting there with their coffee in their hand. And as they're going up, they say, uh, sorry, you've got you've to put your coffee down because you can't go through with liquids in your hand, you can't go through with anything in your hand. And what if they said, well, I don't know. I mean, we did wait in a long time for Starbucks. What if they waited? A lot of us do. Because the only way to get into the kingdom is with empty hands. With nothing. And a lot of us are are like people who are sitting at the gate with our Starbucks coffee while the plane leaves the terminal and going off. Because the only way to enter is with empty hands. And to enter with empty hands, to give up everything, to come with nothing, well, that's difficult. Verse 23. Jesus says how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they are amazed at this. They are shocked. They are greatly astounded. Verse 24. The disciples are amazed, but we're not usually amazed at this saying of Jesus. Why are the disciples amazed? Why aren't we amazed? Well, I know the simple reason that we're not amazed. The simple reason that we're not amazed is because none of us are rich, right? I mean, only 2% of Americans say that they are upper class. And... uh, And we all know, so we don't think we're rich because we all know someone with more. We make mid-five figures. We know someone who makes high-five figures. We make high-five figures. We know someone who makes six figures. We know someone, we make low six. We know someone who makes mid-six. We make mid-six. We know someone who makes seven. And so we're not rich. And when we read Jesus going after the rich people in the Gospels, we're like, you get them, Jesus! You get them! Yeah! Because we're not rich. Except that we are, most of us. Because the fact is, is that most of the world lives on $2.50 a day. And 
And if you make more than $15,000 a year, then you are more wealthy than 80% of the population of the world. And if your household, not you personally, but your household makes more than $25,000 a year, that means you're more wealthy than 90% of the world. You are in the 10 percentile, right? And if you make over $47,000 a year, you are the 99. So how difficult it will be for a middle-class American to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier, Jesus says in verse 25, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed. But, you know, I don't think the disciples are amazed because they were rich. And the disciples, most of them, they had left everything to follow Jesus. That's what Peter's going to go on to say. Why were they amazed? Well, I think they're amazed because they come from a culture where wealth is the undisputable, sure sign of God's favor and blessing. I, I mean, they come from a culture where if you have wealth, and that means that you are blessed by God, you are favored by God, and so it just doesn't make any sense to say someone that is favored by God and blessed by God is going to have a hard time getting into the kingdom, does it? And so to understand the disciples' amazement, I think we need to think, what are the things that we think are indisputable blessings of God? Well, I don't know that we're that far off from their culture. The other day I was sitting on the playground. I do that sometimes. Um, I have a six-year-old, that's why. And I heard some other fathers, and they were there at the playground, and they were talking. And one of them says, yeah, my wife works, but she really doesn't have to. She just does it because she wants to. I mean, she does really well for herself. And besides, I've done well with my money, and so we could really retire. And then he said this line, we are blessed. I mean, we... Think about health and wealth and prosperity as blessings from God, right? And we should. And they are. And we think about a good marriage as a blessing from God. And we think about having responsible children as a blessing from God. And a fulfilling job as a blessing from God. And professional opportunities, these are blessings from God. And, and especially an influential ministry for one who is gifted. Well, they are blessed by God. They, they have his favor, and they do. So if we want to understand the disciples' amazement, then maybe we should picture Jesus saying this. How hard it is for someone who is comfortable to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for someone who is healthy to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for someone with a good marriage to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for someone with a satisfying job to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for someone with an influential ministry to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for Tim Keller and John Piper and John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll and, 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 and Charles Stanley. How hard it is for them to enter the kingdom of God. And now we get why the disciples are amazed and astounded. Why would Jesus say that? Why would Jesus say that these people that are so obviously blessed, so obviously have God's favor, why would he say that it's difficult for them to enter the kingdom? Because when Jesus says that in order to enter the kingdom, you have to come with nothing, he means nothing. Like really. He means that you can't come with your power or your wealth 
or your privilege. He means that the only way that you can come is with empty hands. And that's why verse 24 says how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Not how difficult it is for a rich person. Notice that? How difficult it is for anyone. Verse 24, to enter the kingdom. It's like, it's like as difficult as a camel going through an eye of a needle. I would imagine that if you were wealthy enough, you could create a big needle. And you could elevate a camel. And you could suspend a camel in the air. And you might even could drop a camel through the eye of a needle. I mean, if you had enough money and enough brain power, enough ingenuity and enough resources, and you worked really hard at it and planned for a long time, you could probably get a camel through the eye of a needle, couldn't you? You know, some people think that when Jesus says this, he's talking about a city gate, that the needle is a city gate. And he's saying that the the needle is a low, small gate, and they called it a needle. And what Jesus is saying is that camels could get through the needle, but they had to get really low, and they had to squeeze through. In other words, what Jesus is saying is like, if a camel worked really, really hard, if a camel had enough resources and enough willpower, then a camel could get through the eye of a needle. It's possible, it's just possible, but it's really, really hard. I think that's exactly what the rich young ruler wanted to hear. I think that's what a lot of us want to hear. Just tell me what to do, Jesus. Just tell me what to bring. Just tell me what I lack. What do I lack? What must I do? What knowledge, skill, wealth, willpower? What do I lack? You lack nothing. You lack poverty. You lack powerlessness. You lack empty hands. That's what some of you lack. See, some of you, the thing that's keeping you from the kingdom and keeping you from Jesus, it's not the curse of God, it's the blessing of God. It's the gifts of God. It's influential ministries and good things in life. And all those good things in life are keeping you from the kingdom Because you can't bring those things to the kingdom to get into the kingdom. And you're stumbling over them. Like Israel stumbled over their blessings. Others of you, maybe some of the same people, you're going through an experience of tremendous trial and loss right now. And you feel like you've had one thing taken away from you after another. For some of you, it's ministries, ministry opportunities. For some of you, it's jobs, professional careers. For some of you, it's relationships. And it's one thing after another, and it is just so hard and so painful. And you wonder, what is God doing in the midst of all this trial and loss? Listen, I don't know what God is doing. And I am not going to... I'm not going to hazard to say for certain what God is doing in your life. But I know what he might be doing. He could be preparing you to receive the kingdom. Like he was preparing the disciples to receive the kingdom. Do you notice in verse 24 what Jesus says? He says, children, 
children. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. He calls his disciples children. Now, why would he call his disciples children? I mean, that's kind of demeaning, right? I mean, children, they can't do anything. They can't bring anything. They're unknowing. I mean, to call the disciples children, that's like, that's like offensive. It's demeaning. Exactly. It is graciously demeaning. Because unless one receives the kingdom of God as a child, they cannot enter it. And so Jesus says to his disciples, children. And Peter, he begins to get it. Did you notice that? Look in verse 28, he says, See, we have left everything and followed you. It's like Peter, the lights start to go on. And he's like, wait, Lord, we've left everything. We have nothing. We're poor, we're powerless, we have nothing. And we followed you and we're following you. And so we're, we're like children. We're like those, those children. That's exactly right, Peter. And Jesus responds in verse 29. And he said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers, children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But, Peter, but, 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 many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Look, Jesus, we're the first. We're the first to leave everything and follow you. We're the first to have nothing. Isn't that something? You know you can turn your nothing into something? There's this Monty Python skit called The Four Yorkshiremen. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's these guys and they're sitting around on a vacation spot. And as they're there, one of them says, uh, you know, that we are drinking Chateau Chassier wine. And 30 years ago, who would have thought that we could be sitting around in a place like this drinking Chateau de Chassier wine? And he says, in them days, we'd be glad to have the price of a cup of tea. Another one says, cold tea. Another one says, without milk or sugar. Another one goes, or tea. <laughs> In a filthy crack cup. We never used to have a cup. We used to drink out of rolled toilet paper, news, rolled up newspaper. We used to live in a tiny old house with big holes in the roof. Another says, house? You used to live in a house? You were lucky enough to live in a house? We used to live in one room, all 126 of us, with no furniture. Another one says, you were lucky enough to have a room? We used to live in a corridor. Well, then I, when I say house, it was actually a, more a hole in the ground. But it was a house to us. Well, we were evicted from our hole in the ground. And we had to go live in a lake. You were lucky enough to have a lake? There were 160 of us living in a small shoebox in the middle of the road. You had a cardboard box? You were lucky enough to have a cardboard box? We lived for three months in a brown paper bag in a septic tank. <laughs> you know, you can take your nothing and you can turn it into something. We do it all the time. It happens all the time. It happens so much in the medical industry that Segan's new medical dictionary has a term for it. It calls it 
one-upmanship syndrome. Probably a misnomer, it's one-downmanship syndrome. One-upmanship syndrome, quote, refers to the habit of some patients of exaggerating the symptoms of their, uh, their particular condition. For example, worse symptoms, greater pain, longer recuperation than others with the same condition. Guilty! In order to evoke greater sympathy in spectators. Look at all that I have given up for Jesus. Look at all that I have been through. Look at all that I have sacrificed. You don't know how hard I have had it. You don't know how much I have served. You don't know all that I have given up. Look, Jesus, we're the first. We're the first to have nothing, and isn't that something? And you, can, you can turn your nothing into something, and you can even use your nothing and lord it over people like it was something. Cue James and John. In verses 35 through 45, they come up to Jesus, James and John, and they ask him this question in verse 37. They say, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in glory. Grant us, Jesus, to have positions of privilege and power, of status and wealth. And Jesus, he, well, we learn first that the other disciples, they became indignant. Now notice, they were not indignant because of the question. They were indignant because James and John beat them to the punch. Because like Peter, you see, they all wanted to be the first at being last so that they could be the first. In other words, Peter, James, and John, all the disciples, they had given up everything. They had given up everything in the world except for their egos and their ambition. And so Jesus says to them in verse 42, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Jesus is saying, look, you came into this kingdom with nothing. So how can you take your nothing and turn it into something and then rub it in other people's faces and try to lord it over them as if you had something more than they had? I mean, this is, this is challenging. This is a predicament because if you have to come into the kingdom with nothing, powerless and poor, and you can't bring anything with you, and if even you're nothing, we're likely to turn into a something, then, then how can anyone enter the kingdom of God? Who can be saved? Who can be saved, verse 27? That's what the disciples ask. Who can be saved if you, if, if you can't come with your, with your intellect or if you can't come with your, with your power, if you can't come with your privilege, if you can't come with any of these things and you even can't come with your nothing because then you might turn your nothing into something, then who, who can be saved? You know who can be saved? Children. Children can be saved. Children who can't do anything. Children 
who can't think their way into the kingdom, children who can't buy their way into the kingdom, children who can't look to their status and their accomplishments, children who have nothing, nothing but the love of God and the audacity to receive that love without hesitation, children who wouldn't even dream that their nothing was something because most of them don't even realize that they have nothing. For to such belongs the kingdom. Children can receive the kingdom. And adults. Adults like children. Adults like Bartimaeus. Verse 46. And as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were rebuking him, telling him to be silent. Be quiet, be quiet, have some self-respect. I mean, do you think he's going to listen to you? I mean, don't you know who you are? Don't you know that you have nothing? Don't you know your past? Don't you know your history? Don't, don't you know that you've got nothing to contribute? Well, I mean, what are you doing? Verse 48, but he cried out all the more. I mean, Bartimaeus, he's like a child. It's like a child just keeps crying out, even though other people are there and they're watching him and, and he's bothering them. And it's like he doesn't care. He doesn't know. He, he just has such a desire. I heard a story about a young couple. They'll remain nameless because I used them in the illustration uh, last week too many times. But they recently moved to Santa Barbara a couple of weeks ago, and they decided to check out some things in Santa Barbara, and so they go to the boathouse at Hendry's Beach, and they're there with their children. Um, let's say they have two children. And as they're there with their two children, uh, they order some drinks, and these drinks um, end up coming out purple. And that was a problem because they have, um, you know, around a two-year-old. And the two-year-old saw the purple drink and got really, really, really desirous of the purple drink. And so the two-year-old starts crying out, yelling. And they don't know why, but it's because he wants the purple drink. And finally he said, I want a purple drink. And he's just yelling and yelling. And everybody's looking, but it's like he doesn't care. Imagine if one of the adults didn't have a purple drink and they saw, like, his wife's purple drink, and then just started crying and yelling and banging the table and saying, I want a purple drink, I want a purple, someone give me a purple drink. Like, Why are you acting like a child? What are you doing acting like a child? It's like you have no self-respect. I mean, what are you doing? It's, it's, like, it's like you bring nothing and you have nothing and, and all you know is you're needy. And it's like he, Bartimaeus, he expects the Lord to provide just simply because he can and because he's loved. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus with nothing. Not even his cloak. Did you notice that? The one thing that he had, he left behind. The cloak, which was his something, he left behind and he came with nothing. 
like a child. And Jesus said to him, verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Well, isn't that something? His faith? Is that the one thing that we need to have? Faith? Is his faith the one thing that he brings and contributes to this equation? Is that the one thing? Is that the something? Many people, I think, think it is. Many people turn our faith into something. But then it's not the faith that the Bible is talking about or the faith that Jesus is talking about. Now, the faith that Jesus is talking about, the faith that the Bible is talking about, is the faith that is a disposition of someone who recognizes that they have no capital, financial or symbolic. The faith that Jesus is talking about, biblical faith, is a faith that is the posture of someone who's not looking inside of themselves, but looking somewhere else for worth and value. It's the characteristic of someone who knows that they have nothing and knows that they bring nothing besides their existence, their existence as objects of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's faith. And it's nothing. And so who can be saved? Well, children can be saved. And beggars can be saved. Beggars like Bartimaeus. Beggars who cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. So here's the question. How do we become children and beggars? With man, this is impossible, verse 27. With man, this is impossible. With Peter, it was impossible. He could give up everything and call and follow Jesus. He could give up everything except for his ego and except for his ambition. He could give up everything but those two things. Those two things he could not leave behind, and neither could the rest of the disciples. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And so Peter would come with his ego still intact and his ambition still intact, and he would say, Lord, I will never deny you, and I will never forsake you. But after the cock had crowed three times and all the disciples had abandoned Jesus and denied him and forsaken him, and Jesus rose three days later and he comes and he appears to Peter, guess what? Peter had nothing. He was done. He wasn't even worthy to be a disciple. And he had gone back to fishing. But Jesus called out to his disciples, including Peter on that boat, children, children, And then Peter had been broken down to the point where he had nothing. Satan will sift you. Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you so that you will go through the eye of the needle. And you will come out the other side. Come out the other side with nothing so that you are ready to receive everything. Feed my sheep. 
With man, this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. With God who makes a way out of no way. All things are possible with God who brings things into existence which did not exist. All things are possible with God who calls life out of death. All things are possible with God who can empty our hands in order to fill them. All things are possible with God who can make beggars and children of us all. And so I leave you in his merciful hands. Amen.